We're excited. We start a new series today called Gospel Fluency. We've been talking about it for a number of weeks. Um, we, we, we've, we've promoted it. We've have got banners. We're, we've got workbooks. I forgot to say this in first service, but if you didn't get a workbook yet, we still have some left, and we'll be selling them afterwards today, probably next week as well. It'll be harder to find someone to sell it to you next week. This week, we'll make it easy. We want to get those in your hands. So I just want to jump right in. To be frank, I want to jump right into the series, and here's how I want to intro this. Are you ready? You guys are bold. You don't even know what I'm asking if you're ready for yet, but whatever. You learn in school, you don't ever volunteer when the teacher says, I need a volunteer. You just sit in the back, keep your head down. Here we go. Bien, uh, buenos dias y bienvenidos a la iglesia de North Point. Okay? Okay. Estamos felicidades y está aquí esta mañana. Uh, cuando está su primero tiempo aquí, doy so, uh, su un especialmente saludo. So, saludo. Uh, uh, si no tenemos encontrado, me llamo es Cristobo y soy el pastor de conexiones, más o menos. Uh, obviamente no hablo español muy bueno, uh, pero quiero usar una ilustración sobre ser fluido en algunas cosas para este sermón. <laughs> Sermon? Okay. Okay? ¿Entiendes? Sermon? Bueno. Y uh, uh, la verdad es tenía cuatro años uh, de español en escuela secundaria y mucho ayudar de Google. <laughs> Yay, Google. Okay. Uh, uh, ¿qué, es, ¿Qué es chistoso? Es solamente, más o menos, diez personas pueden entendo, entender qué estoy diciendo. Así que todos de personas... Aquí, quien hablar español, risa cuando yo digo. ¿Ok? ¿Ok? Nadie sabe lo que está pasando. Es muy chistoso. ¿Ok? ¿Listos? Uno, dos, tres, risa. Hmm. Lo, lo siento, uh, no sé, pero bueno, whatever. Uh, muchas gracias, uh, vamos a mantener eso entre nosotros, por favor, pero uh, nadie está aquí hablando español, entonces es, no es importante, pero uh, whatever. Uh, finalmente, lo siento por mi español pobre, uh, y gracias por su presencia. We're starting a series today called Gospel Fluency. And all I want to do this morning is really play with the two words in the title, gospel, fluency. And it made sense to start right out the shoot with this concept of fluency. Anybody here ever have a foreign language? Like in school, you took a foreign language? I'm looking for yes, head nods or show of hands. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, do you remember, like, how do you know when you're fluent in that foreign language? And I'm looking for a verbal response, by the way. So if you're willing, feel free to shout it out. What's that? When you have dreams with it. Okay. Yeah, dreams in that language. I, I totally got it. Yep, yep. <laughs> How do you know when you're fluent in it? When they understand you. Okay. What else? You don't have to think about it. When they quit. You stole the first service answer. When they quit laughing at you. Um, I don't know if there's a right answer to that question, but uh, in, in, 
I had four years of Spanish in high school, and um, if you caught that in the intro, good for you. Uh, and, and then I spent uh, a couple of exchange, I was in an exchange program, so I went to Hermosillo, Mexico uh, a few times in my high school career, and spent a few weeks there each time where there was no English spoken, it was, you know, I think they say sink or swim, <laughs> and so you got to put your Spanish to the test, and that was cool, uh, and then those kids were learning English in their school, and so they'd come and live with us for a while where they would sink or swim, except it was California, so everybody tried out their Spanish on them, which was super funny. But, but the whole point of that is, I, I don't know if there's a right answer to like when you're fluid, but my teachers always told me it was when you dream in it. That's actually what they said. When you, so congratulations, you're the big winner. You win the prize. I don't know what that is, but there you go. Um, that when you dream in it, right? And, and really the idea behind that is that you, you stop trying to translate. Right, so so my Spanish is is um, is enough to get me in trouble. I know some words. Uh, I had I really did have to use Google to help me with some words because I didn't know the word for laugh. Nobody else did either. Uh, and so uh, I have to translate when I when I try to speak Spanish to the guy at the uh, Mexican restaurant. I I have to like I have to think about it cognitively. And, and the challenge with that is then when that that person who might often be a fluent Spanish speaker starts speaking back to me, I'm, Danielle's laughing because she's seen this happen. I'm lost because I'm trying to interpret. And Spanish speakers speak fast from a guy who speaks fast, right? Okay, so this is what we want to play with is this idea of fluency. What, what does it mean to be fluent in something? And I think the only point I want to make with the goofy intro and as we talk about the languages is the idea of fluency is when it just pours out of you. When, when you dream in it, when it's second nature, when you're not trying to decide how I'm going to force it in to the conversation or the situation. And as we're talking about over these next nine weeks, this thing we're calling gospel fluency, injecting the, the truths of Jesus into the everyday stuff of life, right? We're fluent when that happens naturally. We don't have to think about it. When we're dealing with our coworker and we have to actually stop and go, okay, I, I need me some Jesus right now. <laughs> right? Or your kids or your family or your parents or your boss or whoever it might be. Like I have to cognitively think about, okay, how am I going to get Jesus into this situation? Fluency is when that's just pouring out of us naturally. We want to play with that over these next few weeks and to help us figure out what it means to be fluent in this thing that we call the gospel. At some point, we don't have to think hard about it. It's just natural that we're injecting Jesus into the everyday stuff of life. The, the second word we want to play with is this word gospel. And when I say gospel, um, everybody starts to think of something. Like you have some definition of your mind. Because even if you've not grown up in church circles and you've never heard like the word gospel in church, you've probably heard the phrase that someone say to you, and that's the gospel truth, Right? So like this word gospel has made its uh, way into just somewhat common everyday language. It's not just church related. So when we say gospel, like if you've got something in your mind, some people when they hear the word gospel, they think of social gospel. When when I was in college 100 years ago, this was like kind of the hot movement, the social gospel, the school I went to. They painted it as like the bad thing, the enemy. I don't know why that is. But, But the social gospel says this, that Christians help people. Right? And so the gospel is all about helping people. And they say that, 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 that that's the gospel because Jesus helped people. And so the gospel then is really you doing good things for other people. Some people, that's what they think when they hear the gospel. They think social gospel. Some people, they think uh, behavioral gospel. In other words, Christians live good lives. We, we might use the phrase here, Christian values. 
So, so the gospel is all about living in certain ways that, that gel or coincide with what the Bible says or Scripture says. That's the gospel. And they'll have a list of what those things might be. The list might be long. The list might be short. It might contain, th- contain things like not drinking alcohol, going to church on Sundays, not getting a divorce, uh, not overeating, not cussing. It, it usually is preceded by a lot of knots. <laughs> It maybe has less uh, what they're for and a lot of nuts, uh, but it's the behavioral gospel. The gospel is all about living uh, right. Some people, when they hear gospel, they think it's a political statement. It's a political gospel, right? And what they mean by that is that Christians vote in such a way to ensure that laws or lawmakers coincide with Christian values, kind of back to the behavioral gospel, but, but that, that, that the gospel is a political movement, and therefore you have to vote in certain ways to ensure that the, the country, the nation, the community is ruled by Christian values, and so you only vote for Christian lawmakers or things that uh, that person thinks gel with Christian values. It's a political statement. So the so, our, our socialist friends remind us that the church in Acts uh, sold everything they had and shared it with each other. Therefore, it's a socialist gospel. And then our capitalist friends say, well, but God said if a man doesn't work, then he shouldn't eat either. And so we have this, this polarization. Well, okay, if the gospel is just political, what do we do with that? Some people, when they hear the word gospel, they think uh, theological, theological gospel, that Christians believe right things because thinking impacts living. And so for them, the gospel is all about theology, believing the right things about the Bible. Uh, This might include uh, creation, like it was a literal seven days that God used to create the world. Or it might be uh, King James only is the only version of Bible, or ESV, or NIV, or Message, or whatever your preferred flavor is, it's the only right one. It might be you have to believe that the story of Jonah and the fish is a literal event that happened. I'm not knocking any of these gospels. I'm just saying some people, when they hear the word gospel, they think it's social or it's political or it's behavioral or it's theological. And the question is, uh, which is it? Or is it all of them? Or is, it, or is it none of them? What do we do with that? I get to leave that question hanging for you and your life groups this week, for you guys that are plugging into groups, to hopefully have some fun trying to figure out that question. When some people hear the word gospel, They think it's a presentation, like something that you've memorized because you have to go out and share the gospel with people. When I was in sixth grade, I was in a Christian school, and one thing that the fifth and sixth graders did, this was the 80s, so apparently it was okay, is they would just, so the school would send you out with one of your little tiny buddies. You're tiny when you're in fifth grade, just, just know that. And you would go knocking on doors to share the gospel with people. Can I tell you, that is the weirdest thing on the planet for a fifth or a sixth grader. And there are some strange people in California. It's different in Michigan. You're all very wonderful, right? But in California, it was weird. And that was like what the school taught. And they taught you this presentation to share that you're supposed to knock on the door because I think they thought people wouldn't close the door on cute little sixth graders. They were wrong. So, so some people think it's a presentation, right? Maybe you've heard of the four spiritual laws. That was a very popular uh, gospel presentation back in the 70s and, and 80s, this idea that God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Man is a sinner. Jesus is the answer. And it has to be about a personal decision. The tracts were kind of the thing, this thing you would hand to people because the gospel was all about a presentation. Or there was a real popular one in the early 90s called Way of the Master, and it was really built around <laughs> Kirk Cameron, and if you remember him, and, uh, and, and this idea of asking these really provocative questions like, uh, if you were to die tonight, why should God let you into my heaven? 
And you would engage people on the street with this question because that's what the mom who's pregnant and carrying a car seat wants on the way from her car into Myers to be engaged with this thought-provoking question. And she's just trying to think, Jesus, help me. So, so, so maybe, I, and that was the idea, engaging people on the street, right? Or um, in the 80s, uh, late 70s through really early mid-90s, something called evangelism explosion, which we, Wikipedia says is the best known and most widely used evangelistic training curriculum in church history. That's okay. Evangelism explosion, really a seminar. It took a couple years to learn all the components of the evangelism explosion uh, gospel presentation. And then you were supposed to use that in your everyday uh, stuff of life when you would interact with these questions with people and it was sort of a give and take and, and that was the idea of presenting the gospel. Or some people think of something called the Romans Road. In the book of, uh, in the Bible, the book of Romans 3.20, chapter 3.23, 6.23, and 10.9, the idea that everybody's sinned, salvation is a free gift, and if you confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart, then you can have it. Like, people memorized this presentation, and, and so then, so whenever I was going to share the gospel with someone, that's what I wanted to tell them to make sure that I got it in. So, so people have these different ideas when we say the word gospel. Is it social, political? Is it the way of the master? Is it evangelism, explosion? What does that, what does that mean? And we're doing this series called Gospel Fluency. And so for some folks, maybe you're thinking, oh man, we're learning another way to do it. Oh great, I got 12 under my belt already, I'm good. Right? Or maybe you're thinking, oh man, is this going to tell me how to vote or how to, what I'm supposed to do and not do? It's interesting when we ask the question, what's the gospel? And it's interesting if we were to ask that to the, to the very first New Testament church, this group of believers uh, in Jesus. Uh, Jesus died and, and he rose again. He left the planet and he left the church. And, and if we asked the church, the very first church, like what's the gospel? Like what would they have said? They didn't have all these slick presentations. They, 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 they were just trying to make their daily stuff happen. They were living in a time where they were oppressed, and uh, not just the church, but uh, the group of people in Israel as it is. And so I don't know exactly, but I know 1 Corinthians chapter 15 has a really interesting start of an answer. And if you have the app this morning, North Point app, if that's open, you notice there are some fill-ins. The verses are there. They'll pop up on the screen behind me. But you're probably going to want a Bible because you're going to want to underline or highlight something in a second. This is, this is what the author to the church in Corinth says um, about this question of what's the gospel. Starting in verse 1, chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. He says this. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, it's another name for Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of all the apostles, don't even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You want to underline that or highlight that. I've read this a ton of times. I never noticed that before. So interesting. By the grace of God, I just, I am. <laughs> Here I am. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and by grace, uh, by his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. 
The author to the church, his name is Paul, he, he's talking about what, what he would consider to be the gospel, these, this, the story of Jesus. Birth, lived, uh, death, resurrection, uh, sin, all this great, like conquered sin, great stuff, the story of Jesus. But it's interesting because Paul in there says his story too. And I love that he kind of ends it with, I'm a mess. I don't know how you'd translate that. If it was Chris's translation, I kind of think that that would be it because Paul says, I, I am what I am. Like, here I am. Like, ah, God, it's just me. And so Paul, for him, the gospel was like God's story, Jesus' story, and the intersection of Paul's story. Like, there's a beauty in that intersection between those two stories, Jesus' story and Paul's story, or, or in this case, your story. Right? That's where I think the gospel lives, somewhere uh, in there, at that intersection. The, the challenge is when we don't have a, a firm grip on what we mean by the gospel, when it's, when it's convoluted and, and, and messed up by all this other stuff that sometimes we hang on it, or if we think it doesn't matter that we understand what the gospel story is and we get ourselves into trouble. There's this great story, and I, I want to read uh, part of it to you today. We'll, we'll finish it next week. I, I want to leave it like an old, old school cliffhanger for you. But in Mark chapter 9, Jesus has been doing what Jesus does. He's been healing and cruising around. He's built a name for himself. Uh, he's got kind of a reputation, so when he shows up to town, people want to come out and sort of check it out, and, and sometimes they're bringing sick to him. And so that's kind of where it's at in Jesus' uh, ministry life in the years that he did that. And it says this in Mark chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 14. It says, uh, when they came to the other disciples, the disciples were in a couple places, they came back together. So when they came to the other disciples, um, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. Can you, can you picture this? Got this in your head? Disciples show up to a big mob and the religious leaders of the time are arguing with the disciples. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, Jesus asks. And a man in the crowd pops up and answers, Teacher, I, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit and has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You get the picture? Can you feel that? I don't know. Do we take a second here and just try and feel that? Sometimes we read <laughs> the Bible. I do, and I forget to feel because it's a story about a dad who's hurting Right? And if you're a parent in here, you get this. Like this is immediately, like you can bring those feelings right up. Right? This dad is hurting. His son has got this problem, this issue described as demon possession. And then it describes the physical things that are going on whenever uh, it seizes this son. He's foaming and, and grinding his teeth and flopping around on the ground. And if you're a dad, you're already feeling the pain for him. Right? Like this isn't okay. And you would do anything to help your son, Right? And so you bring him to Jesus. Jesus isn't there at the moment, but his guys are good enough, right? These guys are close to Jesus. They get it. And so you ask him for help. Help me. And what are the disciples and the religious teachers doing at this moment? Do you remember? They're arguing. Jesus shows up. Says, what are you arguing about? Dad pops in and tells the story. Jesus in verse 19 says this, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replies, how, how long should I stay with you? Like, how am I going to put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion, and he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Can you imagine that scene? That's insane. I mean, that's just, I can't imagine that scene. What is everybody thinking? And so Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Can you hear the, the question in there? 
how long has your life been like this? How long has this been your normal everyday thing? You feel that? Can you, can you feel the pain? Can you feel the concern? Can you feel the sadness the dad has in his heart? How long has it been like this? Uh, from childhood, dad answers. It's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us. Help us. We're going to pause there. And I know some of you overachievers are going to read ahead. That's okay. If you're reading the Bible, it's a good thing, right? But I want to pause that and let that hang for a week because, because we just have this really weird, interesting picture where, where the religious teachers and the disciples are in this debate because I think the religious leaders, they had some gospel. They had some concept of what they believed about stuff. But, but this dad who's got this kid in this nightmare problem, that didn't fit their concept of the gospel. And so their argument, maybe their gospel, the religious leaders gospel was very intellectual sound. Maybe it was very cerebral and it was very lined out and looked very clean and it said it needs to be like this and if this happens then you do this and if this happens then you do this and it was very simple except it just didn't work for the dad and the kid. And so the disciples, they have some other gospel and I'm frankly honest, I don't know entirely what their gospel was at this point. They've been running with Jesus for a while and so they've got some of that that Jesus like in them, around them, but at the same time they're still trying to figure it out and so uh, whatever they knew to do, they must have tried, but it didn't work. So whatever gospel they had, whatever they were thinking and believing and doing in that moment, it didn't work. And so the, the dad is crushed and the, and the kid, I don't even know what the kid's doing. And, and, and so we come on the scene, Jesus comes on the scene with, with the religious leaders and their gospel arguing with the disciples and their gospel about probably what the right gospel is. And the dad, can you tell me you're with me in this story? Like the dad is in the corner. What's he doing? Arguing with them because he's really, really wrapped up about what the right gospel is? So fix my kid, right? And, and I got to think that we have people in our lives that are probably wrapped up in the wrong gospel. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're wrapped up in the wrong gospel. You, you thought these things or you knew these things to be true, but frankly, it just doesn't seem to work in the everyday stuff of life. And when the rubber meets the road in, in the real world, you're like, I, I don't get it. This stuff isn't working. I, I keep showing up to church. I keep doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing, I guess. I don't know. But frankly, God seems far away and my life isn't any better and I'm just a mess. And the dad, the hurting, always ask the same question. Take pity on me. Notice. Notice. I'm, I'm hurting here, guys. Disciples, religious leaders, North Point, I'm hurting. Help. Like, like I know I've got something missing. I don't even know what it is, but I just need you to help me. Give me some kind of hope. Give me some kind of comfort. Do something. This story finishes. We want to look at it. I promise we'll start with it next week, so be here on on time because this story is fantastic, just the way that it ends. But it's just this idea of what is this gospel that we're going to be talking about for the next nine weeks? What is that? What does that mean? What does it mean to be fluent in it? And how does it play out in the everyday stuff of life? We say injecting the truth of Jesus into the everyday stuff of life. What does that look like? That's what we want to uh, look at for the next number of weeks. Last point and then I'll be done. Uh, we've gotten the question from some people of, of why, why have we so strongly encouraged being part of a group, especially for this series? Uh, why do we do that? And I just want to take a stab at answering that a little bit this morning. Why did we push so hard for folks to be part of a group? Uh, I'm convinced discipleship is a group effort. Discipleship's a group effort. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm always right in my own mind. 
I always win those solo arguments in the car when I'm driving from one place to the other and I have that person in my mind that has whatever and I'm having this debate with them. Boy, I'm really good at tearing them a new one. I never lose. Is that, are you with me in that? It's, it's, it's interesting because discipleship, truly growing into the person that Jesus has for me to be is a group effort. Uh, I never see in my own life those uh-oh moments. You know what I mean by the uh-oh moment? Well, I see them in other people's life. You know, when that person is making that decision or choosing to do that thing or going down that road and you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh, that's not going to work out good. I know where that's going because I've I've done that. (laughs) I see that in other people's lives clearly, but I I so seldom see it in my own life. That's why I need people in my life that can see those uh uh-oh moments. And they go, hey, Chris, you're dumber than I thought you were. Like, what are, what are you doing there? I just, that's, how's that, how do you think that's going to work out? Or if we're Dr. Phil, how's that working out for you? <laughs> right? Like, like, discipleship is a group effort. It's, it's interesting, this, this verse in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. I, I don't know exactly what to do with it. I'm just being frank with you. It's just a really interesting verse. Jesus, uh, in Matthew 18, has been talking for a while, and he's been talking about, um, really church discipline. There's this person in the church that's intentionally hurting other people, uh, brothers and sisters in Jesus, and, and, and like, what are we supposed to do with them? And Jesus is talking about kind of what to do with that situation. And at the end of the specifics and what he says there, he says this really interesting thing. He says, because where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am also. I don't know what to do with all that because it doesn't mean like if you're praying about something and there's nobody else praying with you that Jesus isn't going to show up or do anything. That's not what that means. Like we know that's not true. And it doesn't mean that somehow like if you get enough people, you can strong arm God into action. It doesn't mean that. And it doesn't mean that all your devotional time, like you should never do that by yourself. Like, like solo time, just you and God is vital. It's important, especially for extroverts. Normally I pick on the introverts, but especially for extroverts because you do so much social, sometimes you're not, alone with, you're not alone with yourself and with God. And so it's interesting because Jesus says, where two or more are gathered, I'm there like something special and unique about this concept of being part of a group. It's powerful. If we translated this verse a little bit different, it'd be Jesus saying, where two or more are gathered, God goes into action. That's just powerful. There's something unique about the, uh, the power of being together. So at North Point, we work hard to create groups where this intentional disciple-making friendship can happen. We call them life groups, care groups. We have connect groups that encourage people towards life groups. We do all of that. But that doesn't mean we have the corner market on it. Like, like if you're already in a disciple-making friendship, a relationship that, that legitimately pushes you to be a disciple of Jesus, where, where you are partnered with someone that's a powerful partner in your growing, in your following, being changed by, and being committed to the mission of Jesus. If you're already in a relationship like that, that's great. If you have a group of people around you that are doing that, you don't need a North Point Life Group. But, but, but in 25 years plus of ministry, uh, working with church people, my experience very often is that we say we're in a group like that, but in reality, that group is either just some buddies of mine that I shoot the bull with, or it's another person that I just complain about my husband to. Very often, it isn't a discipleship relationship. It's just a buddy. And so, and so we want to challenge us. We want to challenge us, the introvert, speaking to the other introverts in the room. 
that, that it's vital that we are plugged into relationships with other people, especially for a journey like this. Matter of fact, this week, um, when you get with your group in the intro, there was an, uh, an exercise you were supposed to do where you're, you're going to tell your story. You lined it out either using Instagram method or three pillars or however you did it. You lined out your story, and you're going to share that with the rest of people in your group because the power of the gospel, the gospel is maximized at the intersection of Jesus' story my story and other people's story. You get that? Like the gospel is maximized at the intersection between God's story, my story, and other people's story. There's power in that. What does it mean to be gospel fluent, to speak the truth of Jesus into the everyday stuff of life? That's where we're headed for the next nine weeks. I'm looking forward to being on the journey with you. We're gonna stand, we're gonna sing a song, and we'll move into a time of communion.